Let's turn over to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, first of all, I want to say uh, very sincere, heartfelt thanks to uh, Rob Cosberg for preaching our lesson last Sunday. Yes. Yes, I, I heard from many people that Rob did a phenomenal, fantastic job with a sermon there, none of whom actually was Rob. Uh, he... Uh, was much more humble about his effort, but he appreciates uh, very much all the encouragement there. I think it's great to have somebody like Rob that can preach for us as well. And actually, Rob is going to be up again next Sunday. Um, he did so well, he had no idea that he'd be up uh, again so soon. But actually, I am uh, leaving tomorrow. I would request your prayers. I'll be uh, leaving tomorrow night, and I'll be on a nine-day trip to Northern Europe visiting doing missions work with our churches in Northern Europe. So Mary Kay will be here, but I will not be, and uh, Rob will be preaching next Sunday. He's going to be continuing our series in the life of David. You, you are going to do that, Rob, right? Okay, I want to make sure. Okay. Excellent. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, right back here. Yes. Nice, nice. Well, uh, today is going to be a very uh, sobering message. And, uh, you know, I like to have a lot of humor and uh, I like to have a lot of fun at church. I believe the gospel is good news. But uh, perhaps it will not be so much of that today. Uh, there's no way to get around it. The message today is extremely serious. Uh, it's something that's uh, very intense. Today we're going to talk about the consequences of sin. You remember where we left off in the life of David, and we started when David was a mere lad of about 15 years old. You paying attention, teens? Second, uh, First Samuel chapter 16. David, as a young man, is anointed as a future king of Israel. We follow him through the first 15 years of his life, where uh, he has some spiritual ups and downs, but uh, he's learning, he's growing. He eventually, at about age 30, becomes king. For about 20 years, sometimes we lose track of the length of time, for about 20 years it seems from the Bible's record that he did exceptionally spiritually. You know, 20 years is a long time to do really well spiritually. Uh, I'm not sure I have achieved that, uh, even though I've been a Christian for now, this year, 34 years, uh, baptized into Christ. 20 years is a long time to do well spiritually. But David seems to be doing excellently. And then, as Rob talked about last week, about the age of 50, one hot summer night, he can't sleep. He goes outside on the roof of the palace. He sees this woman, Bathsheba. He ends up summoning her, committing adultery with her. She is impregnated. And then to cover that up, he arranges for Uriah, her husband, who was a soldier, to be killed in action. So in that sense, there's adultery, there's a child born out of wedlock, lock, there's a, a murder, and for a whole year, it seems, David is covering up his sin. You ever done that? Gone a long period of time. You know, there's a scripture that comes to mind in the book of Numbers. Moses said, to be sure your sin will find you out. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next week. But sin, your sin, my sin, will be found out. 
and it will be dealt with by God. As we see in 2 Samuel chapter 9, I believe this is, or 2 Samuel chapter 12, I believe this is where Rob left off. At least that's what he told me. Uh, we're going to talk about specifically uh, Nathan comes, the prophet of God. David is exposed, and Nathan is going to tell him, here now are the consequences for your sin, the sin with Bathsheba, the sin with Uriah. Verse 9, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. We'll stop there for the moment. I believe Rob mentioned it last week, but it needs to be mentioned again that we need to first of all see the obvious evidence of the grace of God. That grace is evident because after the horrible sins of adultery and murder, he simply says, I have sinned against the Lord. And I believe the Lord knows that he's really repented. And the Lord knows when we've really repented. And he honors that repentance. And without hesitation, in spite of the magnitude of the sin, he says, your sins, the Lord has taken away your sins. Can you imagine that? God's ways are so much above our ways. And his heart is so superior to ours. When somebody sins against us, can we be honest? Even if they say, please forgive me, I am wrong. Many times it takes us a little while to work through things. Are you with me there? Can you imagine? Adultery, murder. By grace, God says, I have taken away your sin. Not only that, He says, you will not die. You say, why is that significant? Well, a couple of different reasons. In the Old Testament, it was very clear, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You were responsible for Uriah's death. David should die. As well, the penalty for adultery in the Old Testament was stoning. It's interesting how, uh, how different our attitude is about something like adultery, isn't it? You know, we see television shows, movies, life. It's joked about. It's not taken that seriously. It's so common now that it's almost surprising in marriage if there hasn't been adultery. Certainly the percentages in our country, a supposedly Christian nation, is that there are more people in marriages 
where an adultery has taken place by one partner than in marriages where there hasn't been any adultery. We're not even shocked by it anymore, but God's heart, which is the same in the Old Testament as it is now, is that this is so serious that even for adultery, an appropriate consequence would be death. Death by stoning. But the Lord is gracious. He says, your sins are forgiven. You will not die. The other part of it is, it's not mentioned here, but is surprising to many of us, is that David was allowed to remain as king. Does that surprise you? It surprises me. Again, that's the grace of God. He did not remove him in spite of adultery and murder. He did not remove him from being the king of Israel, and that was God's grace. On the other hand, the lesson today is when there is sin, yes, there is grace, but there are also consequences. One of the false doctrines that is proliferated in our world today and in Christianity in America today is that grace means that when I sin, I just go to God and I repent and God wipes away my sin and then I don't have to suffer any consequences. That is not the biblical records. In God's true church and in God's kingdom, when there is sin, there is grace and there are consequences. The title for our sermon today is taken from Galatians 6, verse 7. Anybody know what that says? I hear some mumbling. We'll probably turn and read it. I'm assuming we have time later on, but I'll quote it for you for the moment. It's three sentences that are very important. You know, if this isn't a scripture you've memorized or considered important, let me suggest to you that you should. Do not be deceived. I wonder why it says that. Because it, the tendency, the human tendency will be to, to be deceived. Do not be deceived. What's next? God cannot be mocked. You know, the truth is, we are pretty good at fooling each other. Have you figured that out yet? You know, sometimes husbands and wives can pull one over on each other and deceive and get away with stuff. Certainly as children, can we be honest, even with our teens here, we made a life out of deceiving our parents. Many times, I can tell you today, sometimes I'll even today, you know, because I'm in my 50s now, so I don't live in holy terror of my parents anymore. But I'll be with my parents who, praise God, are still alive, and I'll tell some story of something I did when I was a teenager, and I forget that they never knew that I did that. <laughs> and they're hearing for the first time, you did what? Because there's so much, I mean, let's be honest, I got caught a lot by my parents, but there was more times that I got away with it. With your parents, you can do that. Sometimes your brothers, your sisters, your friends, even your church family. 
There may be stuff that's gone on in your life and going on in your life right now for years. And nobody else in the world, no other human being knows it. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You're not getting away with anything. You may think you are, but you are not. In long term, if the consequences aren't obvious now, they will be. Because what does the next part says? A man reaps what he said. Now, see, some people have remembered that verse. You just didn't know it was in Galatians 6, did you? A man reaps what he sows. That's the principle of the Bible. And there is no more clear, powerful, graphic illustration of that fact than the life of David. A man reaps what he sows. Now, if you go on, Galatians 6, verse 7 through 9, there's actually a good side to that too. We need to have something at least positive in this sermon today. Because it says, it goes on to say, if you sow to the sinful nature, from that nature you will reap destruction. But it also says, if you sow to the Spirit, then from that nature you will reap reward. So this law of sowing and reaping that God has put into the spiritual law system of the, of the laws of the universe... It works in a positive way the same way that it works as a negative way. I think we ought to get on the positive side of that thing. What do you think? Because David, in one sense, if we stop the story and we just say, David committed adultery and murder and he got to remain king and he was just forgiven just like that. Wow, I mean, God's kind of soft, isn't he? Well, what does it say? Nathan says in verse 10, here's your consequences. Verse 10, the sword will never depart from your house. You know, the, that's a powerful statement. The most difficult word for David to hear in that was the sword will never depart from your house. We're going to see the record, the biblical record of how this played out and how that consequence prophesied by Nathan came out to be true. But many, many deaths occurred in consequence to this one sin with Uriah that David committed. Truly, the sword never departed what? Not just from the nation of Israel, but from his house, his own family. You know, that's where we're going to see. A lot of you already know the rest of the story, or you got a good idea of it. Many times the consequences of our sin are seen in our own families. It's in our marriages, and it's in our children. I know this is not pleasant to hear. Many of you today... You know, last at the midweek we talked about, you know, the value of, of Christian counseling and the value of being emotionally and, and, and mentally healed and the opportunity we have in Christ. Many of us are living proof today because we've been the victims. We've received the consequences of the sins of our parents. 
that have been worked their way into our lives and impacted us in ways that are life-changing. We need to remember that about our sin. Frequently, it's our own families that are most affected. It goes on, verse 11 and 12, out of your own household, in other words, out of your own family, one who is close to you, David, will sleep with your wives. And he won't do it in secret like you did with Bathsheba in the dark so nobody could see. He will do it in broad daylight before all of Israel. It's going to be a public humiliation that's going to happen to you. We'll see where that consequence comes to bear. And finally, he says, the son born to you will die. The son that he had had through Bathsheba from their adulterous relationship. Now you might say, why did the son have to die? It seems kind of harsh maybe. Why did the son die? David didn't die. Why did the son die? Well, let me suggest to you this. First of all, that child, innocent in the eyes of God, would be saved and will be in heaven, the place that we all want to get to. If you haven't figured it out yet, your whole life, whether you live three months, like it seems this child did, or you live a hundred years, where, however long you, your life is simply an opportunity for you to choose whether you will be with God for eternity or not. And I know it seems really important to you, the years that you have and the years that you have left. But let me tell you, you're going to be dead a lot longer than you're alive. I don't care how long you live. Short time or long, there's only one thing that's going to matter in the next world, and that's whether you're saved or whether you're lost. And there's not going to be anybody in the next world who's saved who's feel like, you know, I really got cheated. I wish I would have lived a longer time on earth. So disappointed. You know, I got heaven here and eternal life and no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more temptation. But boy, I wish I would have lived a few more years in, on, back on that, what was the name of that place? Earth. Nobody's going to be saying that. That child was saved. The other thing I think, I think it's very likely that this was the evidence of the grace of God, that God spared that child from a horrible life. Can you imagine growing up as the child that David had committing adultery with Bathsheba and that David, your dad, had murdered your mother's previous husband? And we're talking about a little family dysfunction there. We're talking major family dysfunction. I'm thinking that would have required some serious counseling. No, I think it's very likely. But again, I don't know the answer. And I will also refer you to a sermon that I preached a few uh, weeks ago. You remember, letting God be God. As we will read... And perhaps you've already read it so you know the story. 
David was never the same. His life was never the same after this situation with Bathsheba and Uriah. He had about 20 years. He was halfway through his reign. He had about 20 years left. It seems clear from the biblical record there were very few happy days left in David's life. Yes, he was forgiven. Yes, I believe we'll see him in heaven. But he paid a horrible price for the rest of his life. You know what I wondered as I read this story? We haven't even gotten to the... I haven't even read all the consequences yet, have I? I'm just... It's anticipation. I'm just keeping you waiting. But you know, as we read this, we're going to start now. I want you to think. I wonder how many times David wished he had died. You ever been there? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Maybe you will be and you haven't yet. But there's some consequences. And I believe David was one of those who suffered the kind of consequences that at some point, in fact, we're going to even read a statement where David says, I wish it was me that was dead and not you. There's some situations where I think David would have been happy to take, I think he might have preferred to have been forgiven and just be struck dead and that be the end of it. How many times did he wish he had died? Grace and consequences. Second Samuel 13, we're going to read a bunch of scriptures here. And we're going to just read, we don't have time to read all the stories of chapters 13 through 18. I'm going to leave that to you to go back and fill in the blanks. But I'm going to read you the highlights. Or I guess in this situation it would be the lowlights. Okay, these are the lowlights of what happens consequently to David's actions with Bathsheba and then Uriah. It just doesn't seem like the air conditioning is on in here. Is it on? It is on? Good. It's just me. I'm hot today. My wife told me that this morning. Oh, wait a minute. No, I wasn't supposed to say that. Sorry, sorry. Off topic. Too much sharing. Second Samuel chapter 13. In the course of time, verse 1, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness on the account of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. So as the story goes, Amnon plotted, Amnon Amnon planned, He worked up a deal and got Tamar to come into his room, into his bedroom. And then it says in verse 14, Tamar pleads for him not to do this, but he would not listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Now Amnon, son of David, rapes his half-sister Tamar. Isn't it interesting that David, who lusted, after Bathsheba, the woman that he couldn't have, now his son is lusting after his half-sister, the woman that he couldn't have. 
and he rapes her. A man reaps what he sows. Well, as the story goes, Absalom was, Zamna, was uh, Tamar's brother, full brother, half-brother of Amnon. Says that uh, for two years, verse 22, Absalom never said a word to Amnon. He found out about what happened, neither good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. For two years, he hates him. And then what does it say? Absalom plots. Verse 28, Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Have I not given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. So now, in order to uh, consequence for Amnon's rape of his sister, Absalom murders his own brother, Amnon. Just like David, in response to his sin, with Bathsheba, murders Uriah in order to try to cover that up and to deal with that situation in the best that he knew how. Interesting verse, verse 30. We're still in chapter 13. And so the report is coming back to David about what has happened, and all the king's sons had been off on this retreat, sort of, so to speak, when this happened. While they were on the way, the report came to David, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, not one of them is left. Now the truth is, it was only Amnon that had been killed. But why did I read that verse? Because I'm trying to imagine, you try to imagine, you're David, and we know that David had 18 sons that we know of. And the initial report is, all of your children have died. Now it turns out it's not true. It turns out it's just Amnon at that moment. But what must that have felt like? The consequences of sin, perhaps. Verse 37, Absalom fled, went to Talmai, son of Amihud, the king of Geshur. But David mourned for his son every day. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there for three years. So now, Absalom is in exile from the nation and from the king and from the palace and his family for three years. Let's go to chapter 14 and pick it up. Different things happen. Joab works. He's able to convince the king that you need to bring Absalom back home. Then look what it says in verse 28. So the king says, David says, okay, Absalom can come back. He's been away for three years. But the king said he must go to his own house. He must not see my face. So Absalom went to his own house. It did not see the face of the king. This went on for two more years after Absalom comes back. David, for whatever reason, I don't know if he was, what he was trying to do exactly. Don't believe this is exactly the way God would do it. But he said, okay, Absalom can come back home, but I don't want to see him. I don't want to have anything to do with him. Okay, a little more family dysfunction there. Then in chapter 15, 
I want you to get this timeline. Four more years later now, Absalom conspires and takes the kingdom from David. Just seizes it from his own father. Chapter 16. The prophecy comes true. This is while Absalom now is king and David is in exile. Chapter 16, verse... Where am I? Verse 21. Absalom gets some advice from one of his advisors, Ahithophel. Lie with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench in your father's nostrils, and the hands of everyone with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he lay with his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Where have we heard about that before? Now Absalom, who in many ways it seems was the dearest son of David, the one that was closest to his heart, the one that he had a special relationship with, has seized the kingdom and done exactly what Nathan has said. He's gone up on the very same roof where David on that sleepless night went out and saw Bathsheba bathing. But now it's not in darkness. It's not in the middle of the night. It's not with one woman. Absalom now in broad daylight so that all the people of Israel could see pitch tents there to lie with the wives of David in public humiliation of his own father. The consequences of sin. A man reaps what he sows. We're almost done. <laughs> Chapter 18, verse 7. The armies of Absalom and the armies of David, now there's civil war in Israel. There was a great, there the great, verse 7, the great army of Israel, that's Absalom's army, was defeated by David's men, and the casualties that day were great, 20,000 men. Now, again, you could trace all this back to the sin of David with Uriah, with Bathsheba and Uriah, civil war in Israel, 20,000 men die in one battle. The sword will never depart from your house. Verse 14, in the battle, interesting story, Absalom's got long hair, his hair catches in the branches out in the forest, out in the field. During the battle, Joab and his men, Joab's the commander of David's army, finds Absalom, discovers him literally hanging by his hair in the tree. Joab says, took three javelins in his hand, verse 14, plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And ten of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom struck him, and killed him. Now we fast forward to the end of chapter 18. David gets the report 
that his son Absalom now has been murdered. And he has died. It says in verse 33, The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. The emotion of David, the heart of David, the pain of David leaps off the page. And he literally says, it would have rather been me. I would have rather died. David took the life of Uriah, yet now three of his sons have died. A man reaps what he sows. Have you guys ever heard the, uh, the classic sermon on Galatians 6, verse 7, a man reaps what he sows? Some of you have, and you just can't remember it. But I heard this many years ago, and I preached it myself many times, the law of sowing and reaping, and the idea that, you know, in the physical world, you plant something, and then you get something that grows up, a fruit tree or a vegetable or whatever it is. But the idea of the law of sowing and reaping is that you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. If you ever decide to be a preacher, that's three great points to a sermon right there. (laughs) You reap what you sow. David had sown sexual immorality and promiscuity and violence and murder, and he got it back. He got what he sowed. He got more than he sowed. He got later than he sowed. This happened. You know, I think David would have probably been easier on him if it had all just happened at once, immediately after the sin, right? Did you track the years as we went by? It's been many years, two years, before Absalom killed Amnon. Three more years, Absalom was in exile. Four more years, or two more years that Absalom was back in Jerusalem and didn't even speak to his dad. Four more years before he took away the kingdom. It's at least 11 years that we've covered the consequences. You think David ever sat around at night thinking, God, if there was a way I could go back. If there was a way I could turn the clock back to that hot summer night when I was stupid and I was foolish Sin grabbed a hold of me and changed my life forever. His earthly life, it was never the same. How do you deal with this kind of stuff? Your children killing each other. Civil war in your own family. Rape in your own family. Maybe you've dealt with that. If you have, then you understand. The intensity of this. A man reaps 
what he sows. With God, there's grace, but there are always consequences. You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. You reap later than you sow. Do you see it in your own life? I look back at sins that I committed, mostly ones I committed before I became a Christian, but some that I've committed since I became a Christian. And I see it. Do you see it? Yeah, I've been forgiven. Yes, I stand here by the grace of God. Yes, by the grace of God, I'm still in the ministry. But the consequences I have reaped for the choices, some of the choices I have made, today still haunt me. Because I'm reaping even now what I have sown. I'm reaping more than I've sown. I'm reaping later than I've sown. I mentioned already, so often it's our family members that suffer. How many marriages? How many of our children? How do you think this situation, David was forgiven, okay? Adultery, impregnated Bathsheba, murdered her husband. How do you think that impacted the rest of the kids? I mean, when Amnon lusted after his half-sister, what moral strength and foundation do you think David had to go and tell Amnon how he ought to be and how he ought to live and how he ought to treat and the kind of righteousness and the kind of sexual purity that he ought to have with his own sister? How do you think that talk went? Sometimes we forget about that parents you know there is a there's plenty of evidence about the sins of the father being handed down to the son do you see it in your life you know my dad became a christian wow it's great it's 22 years ago now and he had a lot of great qualities and i benefited much from his life but there were some things in his life that i knew were wrong. There were things in his life that I despised and I saw the, felt the consequences. And you know, the tragic thing is I became just like him. In spite of the fact it was the last thing that I wanted to be. One example of that is anger. My dad has changed. You meet him now and you go, that kind old soul. He could never be angry. I'm telling you, I could tell you some stories. I could tell you some stories, and I hated that about my dad. I loved him, but I hated that quality. And you know, I grew up and I became an angry young man. And even after I was a Christian, I became and still showed that anger. And it's caused so much consequence in my own marriage and in my own kids. Isn't that, have you noticed that about yourself? Family is so powerful. 
Think about that, parents, next time you're, you're tempted to sin. Your present or your future children. Think about that, singles. You know, when Absalom murdered his brother Amnon, what moral right did David have to go rebuke him and to deal with him after he, and they all knew it, had murdered Bathsheba's husband Uriah? How do you think that talk went? I tell you how it went. It didn't go at all because David didn't even have it. Because he knew. I got nothing here. A man reaps what he sows. God cannot be mocked. You know, a lot of the consequences of our sin are not direct consequences. They're indirect consequences. They're collateral damage. If we could just see, teens, listen to me now. And we all need to hear it. But I remember when it was uh, when I was your age, you know, and it's like, what would be such a bad deal? I think I'll experiment. I think I'll give it a try. So many people have. My other students are doing it. I'll, you know, I can, we say this. You know, I can I can ask forgiveness later. I just need to sow my wild oats. You know what? You sow your wild oats, you will reap more than you have sown. You may be reaping consequences for years to come. Can I just say this? Be smarter than all the rest of us were. Let me just put it that way. Most of us became Christians later in life. And you go ask your mom and dad. You ask them to share about the things that they did before they were Christians and when they were teens that they wish they hadn't done. And now all of you are in trouble now. But you know, I think it'd be, we'd probably be better parents if we would just be honest and real and open I regret the marijuana that I used and the immorality that I indulged in. The violence and the anger of my life before I was a Christian. I still suffer the consequences today for choices I made when I was a teenager because I was stupid. Oh, I'm just going to sow my wild oats. You plant a seed and you're going you're to get a harvest. 30, 60, 100 times much. That's the law of sowing and reaping. But there's a lot of collateral damage, even beyond direct circumstances. It's time for us to close. There's damage to our emotional health. We talked about that Wednesday night. Guilt, stress. You know, a lot of guilt and stress and anxiety and Sleepless nights is attributable to our sin. Not always, but it can be. Erosion of our character, that's collateral damage. Every time you sin, you're chipping away at your character. The hardening of your heart. See, that's what happens to us, especially when we get older. When I was a teen and I would sin, I would feel really, really guilty. Do you remember those days? But then as I got older and did it more and the more I sinned and then I got older and eventually I was doing the same stuff 
And it didn't even bother me anymore. You know what you call that? Hardening of heart. And that's the problem some of us that are even older today may have. In our mind, we know this sin, there's going to be consequences. But because our heart is hard, we know it in our mind, but we don't really care anymore. So we just go ahead and plunge into our sin and our foolishness and our consequences that follow. Collateral damage, the power of addiction. Do you realize that sin is addicting? Sin is not something you want to dabble with. What I say not too long ago, we ought to treat sin like crack cocaine. <laughs> Literally. We're like, oh, you know, I'll just dabble a little bit here. And the Bible has, doesn't use the word addiction. It has another word. It's called enslavement. You become enslaved to sin. When you sin, you want to do it again. And you want to do it more. We already mentioned with David the loss of his example. Not just with your marriage or your family or kids. But when you're sinning like that, what kind of convictions do you have? How can you help somebody else? What kind of example will you be? A man reaps what he sows. God cannot be mocked. That's the title of our sermon, by the way. God cannot be mocked. You could also title a man reaps what he sows, but I like God cannot be mocked because it puts the focus on God, which is where it ought to be, which is one person we don't think about when we're sinning a lot of times. God cannot be mocked. The main point should be obvious. The pain of the consequences is greater than the pleasure of sin. The pain of the consequences is greater and more than the pleasure of sin. You know, in the uh, dietary world, there's a saying that I've heard, a moment on the lips, forever on the hips. <laughs> Is that right, Dr. Joe? <laughs> that, though, in a very serious way, that one hot summer night when David went up on the roof, and chose to look and stare and seek and reach out to a woman, a beautiful woman. He lusted after her that he had no business having a relationship with. Affected him profoundly every day of every month of every year for the rest of his life. And I can assure you, if David was standing here today, he would say, don't do it. I didn't get away with anything. Yes, my sins were forgiven. Yes, God was gracious. No, I, my life, it didn't cost me my life. Yeah, I got to remain king. Sort of. Right? Sort of. I believe David lived in weakness the rest of his life. A man reaps what he sows. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Let's pray together.
God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the honesty and the real nature of the message. Appreciate David. So many good things about him. And here is an example that we want to learn from. Help us to learn what we need to learn. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great fellowship.